Welcome to Ancient Future Heart. I'm Kelly Ingram. This is certainly the most important episode of the podcast yet, and it might be the most essential topic I will ever cover. The purpose of Ancient Future Heart is to explore the questions of cosmology. Why are we here? What is the fabric of reality, the human experience? How did it all come to be? My intention is to weave many threads from many different topics, from mythology and ancient history to spirituality and modern science. Bringing together such disparate perspectives on cosmology will naturally open our minds and our awareness as we explore these topics. As I have said, I am not here to seek or share answers, but to be in the mystery of it all. And when it comes to topics such as ancient history and science, I am not your mainstream girl. I am interested in sharing a range of perspectives, including what is fringe, what is very different from others, what is outside the paradigm. And that is exactly what we're covering today. We are going to define what a paradigm is and how to break them. So naturally, we're going to start and focus with the work of Thomas Kuhn, his groundbreaking book, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions, which was arguably the most important work in history and science in the 20th century. Yes, it is that essential. I guess I should say the history of science. It certainly is. Maybe one of the most also generally philosophical books of the 20th century, the most highly regarded In this book, he coined the term paradigm in the context that we will be using it today. No one was using it the way that we use it today until Thomas Kuhn wrote his book, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. So we are going to define the word paradigm, talk through Kuhn's theories that rocked the modern scientific world and continue to, and then we're going to touch on some of the highest level and most pervasive paradigms of thought affecting our reality, including materialism, reductionism, and how they limit our thinking, especially around cosmology. Okay, let's start with the word itself. What is a paradigm? Here are a few definitions. Quote, a framework containing basic assumptions, ways of thinking, and methodology that are commonly accepted by members of a scientific community. End quote. Here's another one. Such a cognitive framework shared by members of any discipline or group and used informally, it is a general mental model or framework of anything. So the concept of the paradigm as laid out in these dictionary definitions, it wasn't a thing until Thomas Kuhn, scientist, philosopher, historian, wrote the book, The Structure of the Scientific Revolution, which is considered to be the most, if not the single most, influential philosophical work, as I just mentioned. So this book is incredibly dense. I can read a lot of these dense scientific books or studies, essays with joy and ease and lightness. And even if I'm just skimming the books to pull out the information that I personally am looking for, the perspectives that I want to share, the summaries, because We're not here to, you know, get into the nitty nitty gritty on everything. So when I read these books, I generally enjoy myself and I don't find it, 
incredibly difficult. This was really hard. This was a tough one and it's intense. I picked out some key aspects though and it's also one of those books where it was very helpful for me to read a couple other people's experts, their perspective on the book Um, and that also helped me pull out the ideas that I want to share with you and summarize them today. Essentially, the structure of scientific revolutions is an account of the development of science. It's very historical, and he really shows the ebb and the flow of ideas and how they become coalesced in in society, how they become the main set of beliefs that's held by a culture, how that lasts, and then eventually how it shifts over time. And what is really the most fascinating part is that the, dif- the shift itself is so difficult to come about. So here are some of the basics of his theory. So paradigms, as we said, it's a mindset of what is true, what is real, and it takes hold after a revolution. It's a cycle. So Kuhn identified that paradigms get so deeply set in the minds of, yes, the general public, but also the scientists themselves who are supposed to be, I mean, they are at the cutting edge of really what science is, is the observation of the natural world. And, you know, they're supposed to be innovating and open-minded to new ways of seeing things. But once a paradigm of thought takes hold confound that it's it's very difficult to shift it. So Kuhn said that the only person who can really change a paradigm is ultimately an outlier. It's someone on the fringe, maybe they're young, maybe they weren't trained in exactly the same way as everybody else. Um, and this is who can really instigate this change in our patterns of thought. Because those within the paradigm, the scientists, the scholars, just the general public, they become so blind to anything outside the way that they, we all, have been taught and conditioned to think. I think it's really important and fun even to just point out that Kuhn himself embodied the outlier principle because he was not a philosopher or a historian, and that's really the realm that this book falls under. He was a physicist, and so he came from a different set of training, a different way of seeing the world, and that was what helped him write and create such a groundbreaking book and concept. I think that it's really well worth a Google search if you are not familiar with this book, and you will see Every account of it just says how this shifted everything in the world of science and it's really still reverberating. So I want to talk a little bit about the path of normal science as Kuhn defined it. He said that normal science is puzzle solving. It's like doing a crossword. He said the modern scientist, the puzzle solver, expects to have a reasonable chance of solving the puzzle. 
but his doing so will depend mainly on his own ability and that the puzzle itself and its methods of solution will have a high degree of familiarity. So do you see what he's pointing out here is that the entire equation itself that scientists are answering is always very much within their realm of familiarity, which, you know, we could get into the psychology of that. I'm going to touch on that actually a little bit in a second, but essentially what he's saying is that the puzzle solver is never entering completely uncharted territory. His expectations shape the methods, his expectations shape the outcomes. And another thing that he pointed out is that normal scientists, they're not seeking to when they test these theories, they're not necessarily desiring to confirm their own paradigm, which he calls at times the disciplinary matrix that they were trained in, raised in. They're not necessarily consciously trying to just confirm what they know and what they've been trained in. But Kuhn says, when anomalies arise in their experiments, they literally do not see them. They ignore them and explain them away. So this is why really quickly I want to touch on confirmation bias. So confirmation bias is a phrase coined by an English psychologist named Peter Watson to describe a very basic element of cognitive function, which is that people have a tendency to favor information that confirms or strengthens their own beliefs and values. So it's very difficult to dislodge confirmation bias once it is affirmed. This is what the psychologist Peter Watson says, and it aligns completely with, you could say that it's like the psychological or the cognitive uh, explanation for what Kuhn is describing in his book. And I just, let's just take a breath and take a minute to reflect on how often this happens all day, every day especially in our society right now. And there is so much fascinating information I could go into here. And maybe I will at another point about how there are certain conditions that happen in modernity that make this even worse, such as social media, how and why social media becomes such a Echo chamber is a phrase that's used a lot. And the echo chamber is really just... Um, it's, it's not a cause of the confirmation bias. I think that's what we're, we sometimes think it is, but it's, it's an outcome of confirmation bias. And it's the same thing with propaganda. And if you're paying attention, you should be realizing more and more so how news media is just propaganda. And again, it's a really interesting chicken or the egg conversation around where and how this starts. And it's very much a spiral that we get caught in consciously and unconsciously. It happens to all of us, even uh, those of us, including myself, who have more fringe views on a lot of topics. We really easily get caught in this um, very human, very natural desire to have our own beliefs echoed back to us. I mean, we could go down the line of community and tribalism and just that basic desire to want to belong. There's so, so much to unpack here, but I hope that you are starting to like put some puzzle pieces together about how this, how Kuhn's work, cognitive bias, how it explains a lot of what we are all experiencing in the collective. 
And another really important idea of his that I want to touch on is that Kuhn shed light on the fact that the prevailing belief of society, of culture, I would say since at least the Enlightenment, if not a little bit farther back, is that scientific progress is really heroic. That we have this idea that it is noble, it is beautiful, it is always moving forward, it is always in the best interests of everyone, and that is not true. Forward movement in the form of true innovation only happens in fits and starts. It is not constant. This is the main thing that Kuhn pointed out about this, is that it it's not a continual forward trajectory building brick by brick. Not at all. It there's a there's a revolution and then a plateau, a revolution and then a plateau. And it's actually prevented. Science itself prevents science from progressing because of the dogmatic nature of how a thought paradigm, a paradigm of an age sets in the minds of people consciously and subconsciously and it's extremely difficult to shift it. So here is one, not explanation really, but one example of this theory and how, and it, I think it very much influenced Kuhn's work, Kuhn's work, sorry, I keep saying his name wrong, um, which was the quantum scientific revolution. Kuhn observed the way that quantum theory was developing and playing out across the 20th century, and that was part of how he came up with these concepts. So Einstein, I actually think is a really interesting example of this just himself. This is not Kuhn. This is me putting the puzzle pieces together about Einstein. This is my opinion, which is that he had obviously one of the most brilliant men to ever live. So many groundbreaking realizations. But if you really start to listen to the undertones is that Einstein was actually very hamstrung by a lot of his personal beliefs. Einstein was known to be I mean, he kind of says he's agnostic, but he very much believed in God. And he's very much famous for saying this one phrase, which is God doesn't play dice. So another example would be how he, when he was having his discoveries, you could say, about light and his realization that light acts as a particle and a wave there was something very appealing to him about proving that light was a physical reality simply because we're going to get into this in a minute simply because it aligns with the materialist reductionist paradigm of science that has been dominant for the last few hundred years. So just to go back to that one phrase, God doesn't play dice, Stephen Hawking eventually reflected Einstein was wrong when he said God doesn't play dice. Consideration of black holes suggests not only does God play dice, but that he sometimes confuses us by throwing them where they cannot be seen. I mean, just so, so, so fascinating to sit and think about these quotes. And none of it is right or wrong. These are just different perspectives and very much building on one one another. But when you start to really read this content, there there's so many different scientists that have such wildly different views about all of this. From Hawking to Einstein to all of the, the more contemporary people who are in it right now. So of course, 
the element of time's passage and the additional, yeah, that's what I was saying is like the additional information that we're getting does change things a little bit, but I think it's really interesting to see how this idea about God and a lot of what Einstein believed about God or wanted to believe about God, it actually came up in like one of his big, he's famous for having these debates with another another quantum physicist, Niles Bohr. Sorry if I said his name wrong. Um, but it's really just an example of how a paradigm, a set of beliefs in action shapes our observation, shapes our opinions in science and life itself. So as I mentioned, the structure of scientific revolutions is a dense book. And I don't know what it is, but God, the universe, life happens to so beautifully place the right books, the right resources in my lap at the right time. And when I was reading it and preparing a lot of this research, I just happened to synchronistically come across this little book. I think I actually bought it to do research on the previous episode about quantum physics and it's short. It's called The Spiritual Implications of Quantum Physics by a guy named Jeff Carriera. It's really, really good. I highly recommend it. I would love to dive more into his work. Maybe I'll try to contact him and have him on the podcast sometime. He's really brilliant. And he was putting together this concept, again, of quantum mechanics and the paradigm. And he has a couple of really, really beautiful things that I just wanted to bring in here. I love this quote from him. We live inside a paradigm and the depth to which our experience is being shaped by that paradigm is more profound than we might imagine. Really, what he's saying is that there is no reality separate from our experience of it. So a paradigm is a standard, it's a perspective, it's a set of ideas, a paradigm is a way of looking at something, but we are, everything is paradigms, right? We're just surrounded by paradigms. You can't even really necessarily think of any free-floating ideas out there. It's just all these different paradigms. I mean, sure, maybe there's there's ideas that cross paradigms, um, but everything, when you start to wake up to what a paradigm is, you can just see them all around you. And that's why when people talk about the matrix, that's what a matrix is. It's really just, I mean, you could go in a lot of ways, but a lot of the the general way that people talk the most about the matrix, I would say, in pop culture is as a thought matrix. And that's what a paradigm is. Um, the matrix is the dominant collective paradigm of consciousness. So it's how we see the world. In I also want to point out that our families have our own paradigms, our friends, our peer groups, our jobs, the way we move through the world. You could say that your own personality is a paradigm and a lot of, you know, inner work and healing work and shadow work is, is changing that paradigm and shifting that paradigm, which you could even call the ego. Our ego is a paradigm, right? And that's one that we need to shatter to come back to our true and authentic self. And so much, there's like this very core thing about paradigms is that there's an element of them that is unconscious that we cannot see that we have to actively choose to cultivate the ability 
to zoom out and see the paradigm. It's like lifting a veil, really. And we have to make a really, really discerning. That's really what discernment is about. It's this conscious effort to see the unseen because paradigms are unseen. And the more we can see them, the more we can be aware of our own confirmation bias because that's the way that we open our minds. And honestly, yes, it's how we become more informed about the world, our own experience of it, but it's also really important because it's how we generate compassion for other people. So another way to think about what a paradigm is that's, I think, just really helpful as we wrap our minds around a paradigm is that paradigms are essentially a set of assumptions, things that we just take for granted as true. And it doesn't just apply to scientists, but all of us, we are shaped by our assumptions, the assumptions that we gather throughout our life from our, you know, from conception, but from our childhood, from our parents, from positive life experiences, from negative life experiences, everything in between, every aspect of our life, you know, it it all comes into creating this personal paradigm. And I think just thinking about the assumptions that we move through the world with is a really great way to understand how a paradigm works within within ourselves and how we end up in this place of constantly reinforcing our own perception of reality. As I said, confirmation bias. It's like that old phrase, assumptions make an ass out of you and me. We all move through the world with all these assumptions. They are really, really unconscious. And I think that's something that's really important to keep in mind is that paradigms, assumptions, that they are unconscious, that we aren't necessarily aware of them. And that is an essential part of the work here is to choose to be aware of them. And that's why we're talking about it, because when you talk about a concept, then you start to see it more and more places. So the second half of this episode, what I want to talk about are some paradigms that are pervasive in science, in the history of science up until today. And it's really important that we understand these terms as we start to dive in to the science of cosmology over the next few episodes. So we have conceptualized the idea of what is reality since we were, you know, little kids. Think about when you're little and you start asking your parents, you know, what is this? What is that? We've had all these things imprinted deeply, deeply into us from such a young age. And we're really taught that whatever paradigm of idea around what reality is, what creation is, how it all started, whether it's a religious one, whether it's the Big Bang, whatever it is, we're always told that this is the truth and the only truth. And what I want to do here is to not, you know, I'm not here to question those truths. I'm here to expand on them by exploring a lot of other ideas in this realm of cosmology. So it's really important. I always say it's important. (laughs) 
just reflecting on that as I go through. We forget. We forget that up until very recently, we lived in a mythic spiritual existence. And then, you know, in the last 2000 years, that transmuted into a very religious, dogmatic experience. I mean, of course, there were religions and dogma beforehand, but really like in the ancient world, before the rise of Christianity, I guess you could even say farther back, that you could just take for granted that every culture around the world, yes, they had different beliefs, but everyone believed in the reality of the spiritual realms, spiritual beings that we were in, we are in communication with them. They are connected to the stars. They're connected to nature. I mean, these were very basic beliefs. We're going to get into all of this in the future. You're probably already familiar with these concepts um, that, you know, pre-religion, the, the concept of the animistic paradigm, which is animism, is the belief that all beings, all objects, all of nature had a soul, a consciousness, a life force. That is very primordial. It's probably the earliest spiritual belief and therefore the earliest idea about what we are, where we come from. So actually, there's a brilliant, brilliant podcast episode on this in the podcast called The Emerald. I highly recommend looking up. I will link it in the description of the show so you can go listen to that. But let's fast forward. The age of reason, the enlightenment. Okay, so we shifted to a paradigm of beliefs here that the universe is governed by natural laws that can be observed, understood, and utilized. This moment of time initiated what continues, I believe, to this day. And it's very much that we talked about a little while ago, that inherent concept in science that everything is positive and optimistic and we're always progressing in a forward, better way. And honestly, that we're always on the verge of understanding everything and that we even have the possibility of understanding everything, of having, as Hawking called it, a theory of everything, which, by the way, by the end of his life, he did not believe that was possible. That's another episode coming up. But That story about science that we hold today really started in the Enlightenment. Another aspect of our current paradigm in science is that we really haven't integrated a lot of quantum concepts into our worldview. And I don't mean like scientists and scholars. I mean the average person, what we learn in school, Um, We are not educated and that's why I really loved going, you know, I'm not a physicist, but that's why I think it's really important to share about these concepts because they are well-known, really important theories that are underpinning the technology that we use today and we're not educated about them and they have the power to really change our perspective about life and you really don't see anyone talking about them and it's funny I did when I did a few reels on them on Instagram last week. I had a couple people bringing up what I'm going to talk about now, which is Newtonian physics and uh, Cartesian ideas based on the work of Descartes. So Cartesianism, Cartesian ideas is 
are based on the rational, logical mind. It's, it's the concept that knowledge comes through reason purely, that it always comes from the mind. Reason is more important than experience, and reason is more important than spirituality. It's more important than art. It's more important than anything else. The mind is before everything, and gosh, can you not see how this is so, so pervasive in modern society to this day? We don't listen to our bodies. We don't listen to our hearts. We don't listen to our emotions. We don't listen to our whole self. We just listen to the mind, and we're so disconnected. And it all started back in the Enlightenment with Descartes. So Newton, the Newtonian worldview, let's talk about that. Sir Isaac Newton, he was a 17th century scientist who defined the laws of motion. Yes, you're well aware, the apple falling from the tree and all of these things. And you know what I just need to say? is that these concepts get attached to a man's name. And these men, they don't invent this shit. They just observe it and they name it. And it doesn't mean that they were the first person in history to ever observe this. And I'm really excited to touch on that in the future, especially around heliocentrism. There were so many scientists and Ancient people who knew that the earth revolved around the sun. Most ancient people knew that the earth was a globe. I mean, not most, but in a lot of high cultures, they were well aware of that. And yet we're told, you know, that these things didn't happen until Europe in, you know. Yeah, I guess that's another conversation around colonialism that we're not going to do today. So these laws of Newton, they hold true. They're wonderful. Maybe not on a quantum level, but yes, so much beauty, truth, extremely, um, you know, just tested and proven over and over and over again. It's really this Newtonian paradigm is really the bedrock and foundation of all modern physics. It's incredibly important, but I think that it's really also essential that we talk about how it all stems from the idea that our physical material reality is a static state in that we can objectively observe it and objectively know truths about the entire reality of the world um, that very much exists outside of ourselves. And a lot of what's come up in quantum physics with the observer theory places that I guess not into question, but it, it, it brings up a lot of questions itself. So everything, again, and this is another really, really essential thing to understand is that in Newton's paradigm, everything is mechanical. And that type of thinking has cascaded throughout the way that we literally think and form thoughts and learn about all aspects of society. And I mean, there's been really great things that have come from that, right? Like think about technology, even like here's a really silly example, but think about Ford's assembly line and how that revolutionized, you know, first the auto industry and then all of industry. Think about, um, I mean, there's so many examples, but also it's, it was then applied to the body. And again, sure, we've had a lot of really brilliant science that has come from that and changed a lot of lives, but there is a limit 
to that sort of mechanical thinking. And humans are, we are so much more than mechanical. We are ecosystems and ecosystems are ecosystems. And we've, we've failed to understand, I think, nature and the body in the way that it needs to be. And that's why we're in this environmental crisis and that we're in a physical health crisis because we have approached these, you know, very complex, interconnected, you know, just systems isn't even the right word. It, it's really an, an, a web and that is so complex and so intricate and so interwoven and we have failed to really understand that a lot of that can, you can draw that back to the Newtonian thought paradigm and how it's really, really pervasive. So Newtonian Cartesian model, this entire assumption of an objective reality, this is again, you know, if you listen to Quantum Mechanics 101, we're going to go into this. There's a really fascinating theory on cosm or cosmology of what existence is called biocentrism by Robert Lanza. We'll get into that. But I also want to touch on a couple more like very dry but very important ideas and concepts before we end this episode. It is materialism versus idealism. So Newtonian and Cartesian models, they are part of the materialist view. So materialists believe that matter, objective matter, is the foundation of reality. Idealism, on the other hand, believes that the foundation of reality is consciousness. So ancient humanity was idealistic. So many spiritual traditions, many of which are still in existence this day, are idealistic. I would say Christianity tends to be more materialist. This is, you know, all up for interpretation, but just to give you some reference points. Here's another example of materialism versus idealism that's easy to just understand. You're reading a book. If you assume the book exists outside of you, that it's an objective object called a book, if you weren't there, that book would still exist. That is materialist. And if you're idealist, idealism says that the book exists because you are reading it. It's kind of like that old question, if a tree falls in the woods and no, there's no one there to hear it, did it fall? So the Big Bang, Darwinian evolution, Western science and philosophy, it all starts with matter. So this is the materialist view. It starts with matter and it adds consciousness later. So it's the idea that the world existed and then consciousness came about at a later point. And you know what's crazy is that no one has explained that. There has not been any scientist thus far who has satisfactorily or even begun to really touch an explanation that describes how consciousness arose out of matter. But, and this is something in the book Biocentrism by Robert Lanza, he talks about how matter arises out of consciousness. So in the idealist view, um, everything emanates from your experience of it. If it doesn't, 
if you don't experience it, it doesn't exist. The material world does not exist outside of our experience of it. And I think that there is a really important, and you know, I think the truth is probably that both are true, right? Who knows? But there's something about idealism that I personally find really appealing because materialism is really that, you know, masculine, we know and I know and this is the answer and there's a right and there's a wrong. And I think that idealism is actually really reflective of the human experience, which is that we just don't know. We, we don't have all the answers. All we really ever know is our own minds. All that's, that's, you know, we're these humans existing in these bodies. And if you really, really zoom out and think about it, all you ever know is your own experience, your projections, your beliefs, you know, the colors that you see with your eyes, um, our own lens. Does that make sense? I don't want you to take this in a literal way. Talk about it in a philosophical sense. Nothing is really certain. And another thing I love about idealism is that it's more holistic. It has a you know, very broad view of consciousness and it aligns with a lot of the most cutting edge, you know, ideas in quantum physics. Um, so just keep those two terms in mind as we move forward. I have one more ism or ist for you. <laughs> I promise it's the last one. Okay. Reductionism has been the dominant scientific ideology of the 19th and 20th centuries. So reductionism is the belief that reality can be best understood by breaking down all physical phenomena to their simplest parts and processes. Think about all scientific experiments. Think about how our medical system is designed. It's all fragmented, which is reductionism. And as I just talked about, it's obviously materialist because it thinks about individual elements rather than the whole. So psychology should be reduced to biology and biology can be reduced to chemistry and chemistry can be reduced to physics. Does that, do you see the, the way that it goes and how, you know, just start to think about how maybe you've experienced this in your life. And I think it's most easy to conceptualize when we think about our health journeys. Um, both are very much about the seen, not the unseen, the physical matter, not the energy, not consciousness, not information systems. Um, so this is very much reductionism is the predominant scientific cosmology that we're taught in life in school, which is Life is an accident. Life is a statistical anomaly. Life is fragile. Life is rare. Life is transient. This is what we're taught, that we are these, and this all goes back to reductionism, these little specks that we as human beings, we evolved out of accident, you know, from goo and cells in the ocean, and that now we just kind of like barely hang on in the world 
and the world itself is really just a random accident of a of you know the big bang and there's this this harshness this chaotic unloving um impartial this is what we're taught and is it any wonder that the world is miserable when that's what we're taught in school that's what if you asked anyone on the news media any person in a college a professor university that's what they would tell you the leading minds that's what they would tell you is the dominant belief of our society no wonder we're all miserable and no wonder we're disconnected because that's just tragic no matter how you cut it even if you think that's true it's a horrible way to look at life in my opinion and think about you know there's a lot of people that believe that worldview and then they're so upset about climate change and environmental issues and it's like well yeah no shit <laughs> like if you t- teach people that they are meaningless specks that they are just here to live and die nothing is connected yeah of course they're going to treat their bodies of course they're going to treat the world of course they're going to treat each other of course they're going to treat animals nature in in a negative way in a disposable way when we're taught that we're disposable and meaningless we're going to teach treat everything else like it's disposable and meaningless it's i mean it's so obvious so on the other hand, us on the other side of reductionism is a teleological worldview. So this is the view a co- or a, any cosmic model that gives the universe an intrinsic goal, a purpose, an evolution, or an innate, like in an innate direction. So it doesn't necessarily mean that there's a God or gods. It's that there is this intrinsic meaning in it would be like the word universe you know there there's an intrinsic purpose it there's a there's a little bit of you know a positive underlining to this um in all of history like like we were talking about earlier was idealist all of history was teleological until very very recently. And yes, this podcast has a teleological worldview. I'm going to share all the ideas, but that's my personal view. Um, myth itself is obviously teleological. Humanity, humans are teleological. We we are, you know, as above, so below, made in the image of God. We are purposeful, meaningful beings. If you didn't listen to episode three of the podcast, go back and listen to it now and that'll explain everything I'm saying. But meaning and purpose is intrinsic to us. Um, it's innate. It's it's what we are. We need it. It's survival. And I think that that is true of the whole universe. And there's some really, really cool theories on this um, that we're going to get into really soon in scientific theories. So to end, I promise we're at the end. (laughs) How do you break a paradigm? So a paradigm is a circular loop. There is no escape. And to go back to our friend Thomas Kuhn, sorry, 
He says that it can only be broken in three ways. One, a persistent problem. Two, something discovered that shouldn't be possible. And three, intuitive genius allows someone to see a radical new possibility. So quantum physics, as we talked about and its implications in the 20th century, they broke paradigms. Um, a lot of people picked up on this and a lot of people didn't, you know, as I said, like we don't, we're not raised with quantum truth. And I think that it would really be beneficial if we were, um, does that make sense? Like all this chatter about breaking the matrix, it really comes down to this work. Uh, William James, I want to just layer this in. William James said, we don't experience reality. We interpret it. And I mean, if you don't know who William James is, he's like one of the fathers of psychology. But I think that's really, really important. He said, we don't experience reality. We interpret it. Everything is perception. Something might exist underneath our perceptions, but our perceptions are all of these layers of assumptions and interpretations. And like that, that's the paradigm that we walk through the world with. It's like we all have our own mini paradigms and we exist in these bigger paradigms that you could call a matrix, you could call whatever you want. So again, to bring back quantum physics, quantum physics is really playing with this idea and supporting William James and a lot of these philosophers and what they've said about perceptions and interpretations of reality um, in this really fascinating, beautiful way. So when a paradigm shifts, the meaning of life shifts, how we interact with reality shifts. And that's why this work we're doing by looking at cosmology from so many different perspectives, looking at what we believe about creation, it is groundbreaking work. It is spiritual work because every time we you know, come across a new idea that we've never thought about before, never heard about before, it's like a little crack in our paradigm. It's an invitation to think about things differently. So I don't know if it's going to come out today or maybe in a couple days, but scientism. I have a second episode within this world of paradigms where I'm going to talk about a specific paradigm that we are all looking at today in the 21st century, which is how science has really become a religion. And so... If you want to dive into that, you can listen to a preview of it um, wherever you're listening to podcasts. And if you want to listen to the full episode, you can go ahead and join us on Substack. This is our like members-only subscriber platform. We're doing it through Substack. And so it's $11 a month and you get two or three private podcast episodes every month. And they tend to be like a deep dive or a little bit of a tangent that might not be on cosmology specifically, but kind of, you know, like this is like scientism isn't about cosmology, but it's just, it's interesting. And it builds off of this idea of a paradigm. And a lot of the time I'm going to talk about things on the private episodes that are either really personal or maybe a little more controversial or maybe a little bit more, um, as I said, like pop culture right? Something that's of the times. And that that's that's really what the scientism conversation is about too. And I probably will 
either in that episode or I might even split it into two parts, uh, talk about my own experience with paradigms I've broken. Um, I've, you know, shattered in my life. And you know what? It's not easy. It's really not easy to live in a paradigm that's different than everyone else. And it's really fucking important if you're here to live an authentic, real life. And um, I'm going to talk about that on the on the members only episode. So you can go over to, I think it's kellyingram.substack.com. I will have it in the show notes. You can also find a link to it on ancientfutureheart.com and you can listen to the preview of it in the next episode. So thank you guys so much for listening. I'd love to hear your feedback. I'd love for you to rate and, to rate and review this podcast wherever you are listening. Um, I have a really sore throat that I've had for three months now that I am working on healing. So if my voice is a little crackly, I'm sorry about that. I'm working on it. I'm also trying to find the right streaming platform and technology. Um, Yeah, so I'm open to anything you have to share that's helpful in those realms. Um, Yeah, I'm starting... I'm starting some deep dive treatments, which maybe I'll get into. I've talked about a little bit on Instagram, but maybe I'll do a an essay on. Oh, yeah. That's the other thing about the Substack is I, I write a couple essays every month, too. So it's really fun. Go over there and join. And yes, rate and review, send, send and share with a friend. I'm just so excited to be laying this foundation and getting started on this journey together. There's so much more to come. <laughs>